You're listening to The Wheel Nerds with Chuck and Todd. Hi, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. This is episode 113. I'm Chuck. And I'm Todd. We're going to be talking about motorcycles. And America! Yeah, that too. You know. America! Hey, do you know I just got back from England? America! <laughs> I've been in America. I went back to the East Coast. And you know what it reminded me most of? Why you're glad you're not living in the East Coast? Well, that, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, you know how much the East Coast sucks? How, how bad everyone on the East Coast is? You know, actually, Every people are really single nice. one of them. People are really nice individually. There's something about the East Coast where the people who can get in groups, they're raging assholes. <laughs> the, uh, that's why it's the East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. I did like being able to talk at normal speed when I was there. You know, I went in, I went into like a, uh, went into a diner Whoa. and she's like, what do you want? And I was like, oh, okay, I like, uh, two eggs, hash browns, uh, toast coffee. She's like, all right. How do you, how do you order that here? Two eggs, hash brown, toast and coffee. At least is what it feels like. Yeah. You know what it feel like if you're ordering that in San Diego? What? Two I'm never moving to California. <laughs> and and this is why I'm as far west as I can manage right now. Because that's how laid back we are. I need. I don't want everyone to be super uptight like the East Coast, but I need to just, just a little bit, you know? <sighs> oh. You'd end up being one of those diner shooters in San Diego. <laughs> So what else did you do on the East Coast? Oh, went to a wedding in Rhode Island, um, went up to Lake Placid, uh, visit some family, drove around, uh, got my little daughter to see a lot of the family members she'd never seen before, saw a bajillion motorcyclists, almost all of them cruisers, riding down Rhode Island. Like, apparently Rhode Island is a really popular place to go ride if you're coming out of Boston or something. Okay. And then they ride in a straight line on these really slow roads. Because, you know, every road there has no sight lines. It's like a lane-ish. Okay. And they're just, they're they're riding. They're cruising. They're cruising, yeah. Okay. And all the bikes are cruising. The sport bikes are cruising. The touring bikes are cruising. So sport bikes are out are there, too. Yeah, yeah. But they're just cruising. Why? I don't know. I mean, I was I was driving just a regular car on the roads, and I was ready to jump out and murder everyone. <laughs> they were... They were so slow on these roads. But then, you know, you come around a corner and there's like four cops like, hi. So, you know. So, okay, would these have been good roads if not for the cops? No, because you'd still get your ass run over by like a, a cart or somebody towing a boat. Because, I mean, they're like okay. they're like a lane and a half wide. Okay. They're through picturesque Rhode Island, New Englandy towns. Okay. So which is just... code for old buildings falling apart. So why are people? I, well, I'm, I'm trying to understand why go ride these roads. Um, I think some of it is because they might live in Boston, and I don't know if you've driven in Boston recently, but in Boston the roads were designed by cows. By cows. By cows. Okay. Yes. Okay. Nothing like driving in Boston. I got to Boston Airport and got to drive through Boston in the middle of the night. And at one point, the roads, there's a four-way intersection where no two of the roads line up with one another. And there's a hole in the road, and there's guys working on it. And cabbies are just, like, going around them like they're not there and into other lanes. And I look over at my wife, and I go, Boston, just like I remember. <laughs> huh, okay. Yeah, i do anything to get out of Boston, too. <laughs> wow. Well, I was in England mm -hmm. and Amsterdam, mm -hmm. and I saw a Zeus. 
Oh, I took a lot of my pictures God. of this Zeus. Oh, my God. I saw this. Actually, what it was, I, we were on a canal tour in Amsterdam on a boat, literally going down the canal. To and you're like, stop the boat. <laughs> well, no, no. I saw it. I was like, oh, fuck. It's right there. It's right there. It's right there. It's right there. Two, hour and a half later, we get off the boat. I'm like, grab my girlfriend's hand. Come on. <laughs> Where are we going? Where are we going? The ATM's over there. The hotel's back that way. We, we don't have enough time for them. Like, Come on. <laughs> I saw something. I saw a thing. <laughs> so And this bike's just sitting there. Oh, my God. I, yeah. I need this thing, So the, the, Zeus, the Zeus is the long dreamt of purpose-built three-wheeler. Like when Claude talks about how like different motorcycles adapt to a three-wheeler and like the things you build on a motorcycle wouldn't be the way you'd build it on a three-wheeler, this is what he's talking about. If you built a three-wheeler from the ground up, mm-hmm. this is what you would get. It's a two-passenger sidecar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got leading link. Or excuse me, not leading link. No, better. It's got center hub front steering with a variable caster. Yep. <laughs> the uh, engine is distributed across the sidecar and the bike to make perfect weight distribution. The sidecar is a capsule. Yeah, for all intents and purposes. It looks like a fancy Hannigan. It's got uh, seat belts. Seat belts. Two liter lights. engine. Yeah. 133 horsepower. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and it's, it's two wheel drive. Mm-hmm. It's everything you want. You know, car tires on all three wheels. It is it is it is a beast to behold. Yeah, I can I just this thing you is could, going to rip. You can the hear corners. the anime theme music when you look at this bike. Mm-hmm. Is uh, I, I I can we get one of these in the, into the country? You Hard. could get one into the country. It's just a Peugeot engine, so getting it titled would be. Uh, I'm not sure how you title it. I guess you'd have to title it as a three wheeler. Mm. Yeah, you could probably do it. You probably title it the same way you would a spider. Because the thing about the Zeus, the one thing I will say about the Zeus and what I understand about it is, it's a bit like the spider in that it's got, um, it relies on a very sophisticated nanny system Mm -hmm. for several things. Well, it is Europe. Yeah. (laughs) Zing, bitch. Whoa. That said, you know, ABS brake. Boy, those would be nice. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God, I want this bike so bad. This thing, it looks sexy. It mm-hmm. would, it would be. I mean, I could stuff my kid and the dog, uh-huh. and and like another smaller bike into the, <laughs> not one but two trunks. Because <laughs> remember how the engine is not under the back of the bike? Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. like that. Uh, why? Seriously, the thing is badass. Me, I, I've I've me. only ever seen them in pictures. I wish to God I could have seen it in person. I touched it. I would have sat there and like staked it out and waited for the owner and been like. <laughs> Some poor Dutch guy walks out. <laughs> There's me. It was uh, it was it was an incredible thing, man. Mm-hmm. I, I seriously need to it's look a, into getting one it's of these. A thing of beauty. I'll sell my car. I won't need. Yeah. It. What the point? You, what do you need a car for? <laughs> I won't need cars. It. <laughs> <laughs> Losers. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that 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 was probably the coolest bike I saw. Mm-hmm. I saw you know a lot of uh, a lot of interesting. Bikes we can't get here anymore, like the mm-hmm. Hornet. Yeah. Um, kind of cool thing. Uh, you know, when you're in England and you're, you've got a learner's permit and you're mm-hmm. riding, you got a big red L. The scarlet your, letter. Yeah. We need those here. We need like L's. a big, I'm to see no, not an L, like a big scarlet B. B. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Now you have to wear this, Billy. <laughs> you are bad at riding. When someone who does not have a B comes up behind you, you need to pull over and get the hell out of your way. <laughs> if you're driving along, you see a bike with a big red B stuck on the fairing, you, you know. just run. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Go away. <laughs> oh. Big red Bs. I don't want to wear the B. We should make like big red B stickers and sell those and people can just plaster them. Sell. <laughs> the Billy sticker. I think this isn't this is an idea that this has legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look for Billy stickers. <laughs> I like it. Uh but yeah, no, the the other things I saw, um Well, you know, I went to the Ace Cafe in London, mm-hmm. uh got a burger. Mm-hmm. Um it was pretty good. I, my my girlfriend was really down on English beef. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I I liked it. But anyways, Got picked up a copy of like the motorcycle British news. Mm-hmm. They love Eric Buell. Yeah, apparently. those guys are all about him. Yeah, and like the big thing I I read in the articles, he's there's they're saying he'll announce the AX this year mm. at the uh, ECMA show. ECMA. And you just having body Ulysses. Yeah, yeah, but still, it, you know, the Ulysses can be sold. <laughs> but it can be sold. Bikes Maybe can... they'll give you a discount if you trade it in as like a, a like a Buell owner discount. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm loyal. I'm one of you. <laughs> Dang. You know, Buells can be sold. Euros can be sold. Mm-hmm. This time next year, my garage could have an AX and a Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll just have to shoot myself because there's, there's nowhere else I can go. <laughs> and done. <laughs> you know what? Motorcycling, it was fun. But yeah, no, I'm done. Wow. Just think of how much it would annoy your ex-wife to pick your daughter up in the Zeus in the winter. <laughs> I just opened the pod. Yeah. Well, you know, it was raining this morning and mm-hmm. she wanted to ride back in the, the sidecar anyways. You're so dumb. Done. <laughs> done. Have you started pricing out scooters when she turned 16? <laughs> She's just like, yeah, let's go. The price to fail her in the class just went up, just so you know. <laughs> One of the things she said to me when I picked her up, she's like, you know, I'm still talking to everyone about how that girl dropped your bike. <laughs> <laughs> My dad was selling a bike and the person who bought it dropped it. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> And sold. <laughs> uh, Europe. There was something else I wanted to talk about. English people. Bikes parking really close together. You mentioned that a few times. Oh, yeah. That kind of freaked me out. Just in the designated bike parking. I, I cannot stop thinking about you saying it every time I go park at work now. I'm like, am I too close? I, well, I just... They were so... I don't know how you even step between them. They were uh, so close. Very carefully. You, you get up and you stand on your seat and you do a backflip off of it onto the sidewalk. That's the only thing I could, you, you're like, people are just running and jumping and on the bike. <laughs> go! Torque. <laughs> Speaking of torque, did you see the video I posted on our Facebook page? No. It was a dirt bike race with street bikes. With like, sport oh, bikes. Oh yeah. They weren't doing so good. It looked awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they're all gonna be like that in the field. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I clearly these guys saw torque and were like, we, we could do, do that. that. <laughs> <laughs> We're there. <laughs> Make it happen. Remember, kids, every bike is a dirt bike. If you have a sufficient disregard for your safety and that of the bike. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of bikes, yeah. or perhaps alleged bikes. Yes. Our first one is the Rat Rod Scooter from Hell. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. First of all, this is clearly a moped. No, never mind. No. 
It's not. It's a scooter? It's an express. They say it's an express moped. I don't think it's an actual moped. I think that is a scooter. There's no pedals on it. 1978 49cc Honda Express moped. If it had pedals at any point, they're gone gone now. With 150cc GY6 short block with 205cc big bore kit. What the fuck? I think they took what was a really cool classic bike and they put a shitty Chinese engine on it and bored the engine out. It's willing, it's, this thing is as fast as you're willing to ride it. Bit. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Runs great. Needs nothing except someone to ride it and have a good time. Is you that know, a rideable bike? I don't know. There's a lot of crap all over it, is okay. what I'm observing. It looks like those storage containers are eating it. It looks, it looks like there's a bike with a pile of shit on top of it. And then you look closer and you realize that that's his, how he's run the control lines and the wiring harness for the bike. Is that the gas tank? This is not a person. Behind the seat? Yeah. This is not a person who I trust to build a bike. It must be noted. Wow. Are those wheels the same size? No, they sure aren't. (laughs) I mean, technically most aren't. So, you know. But, I mean, those, they tend to have a relationship. Well, you know, math. These, Uh, these. Well, look at that pipe. It's a rat rod scooter from hell. Check. That's a lot of wire ties. It is quite a lot of wire ties. I think that's all that's holding that frame I together. have some serious, serious reservations about this bike. This is a project of love. Uh, it's a project of something. Someone loved this bike. <laughs> mm, if they did, they loved it too hard. And Look, the suspension's lying way. right next to it. <laughs> yeah, there's some suspension right there on the ground. See, there's extra. They love it. Yeah, I don't know why you would take pictures of not not only is it in front of a pile of crap so you can't really see the bike very well. The bike itself looks like a pile of crap. And 700 bucks. 700 bucks. I Okay, I got to admit I would probably go and see this in person just for giggles. Oh yeah, I'd go see it, but would you have $700 in your pocket? Uh no. Would you have $70 in your pocket? Mm, I might, because I'd probably <laughs> put the engine on something. In fact, that's what happened with this engine. This guy got this engine on the cheap, and he had the frame, and he's like, I have an idea. <laughs> Hold my beer. Hold my beer. Watch this. <laughs> yeah, and it looks bad from every angle. It's just, uh, it's this just, is, it's just not improving. It, it's a bad – this shouldn't happen. Next. Press. Yeah. Next is a 93 Suzuki Street Fighter. I have a real, in quote, Street Fighter. None of this a service light crash plastics bull. This bike has been built from a GXS600F, a.k.a. Katana. Jetted carbs, K&N pod filters, dirty bars. What? I don't think I'd advertise that. LSL Urban Headlight. One-off tail section that I guarantee no one else will have because it appears to be made from a painted dog poop shovel. Uh, aerodynamics. I know them. Air. Shovels. Air. Race clutch installed, which means it's a fucking bastard to pull in. <laughs> New Conti tires that aren't even broken yet. Because I can't ride it. Full custom wiring harness. <laughs> Blinkers blink sometimes. Beautiful custom paint. Okay, I'll give him credit. The custom paint is pretty good. It's a shame it's on this bike, but the custom paint is pretty good. Yep, <laughs> the, the paint is, but I don't know what the CF stands for. Custom blinkers, which have been known to blink. <laughs> Aftermarket sprockets and chain from Driven. Uh-huh. Full Yoshi exhaust system. So at least he's, he's he put some money into the paint. Yeah, he put some money into the paint. I mean, apart from the dog poop shovel tail. Which does have a nice paint job. Which does have a nice paint job. It's a nicely painted dog poop shovel, but it's clearly a shovel. Um, mechanically, it sounds like it's okay. 
Yeah, $4,500 for a 93. Yeah, this heavily custom for a 93. No, I don't. I don't no, no, no. And he's, he's one of those people who seems to be confused about how adding mods adds value, which is to say he thinks it does. And I'll give him props that he, he's tried to do a chop tail to this bike, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't meet the wheel nerd standards for a chopped butt. I, I think I might not do it with a poop shovel. <laughs> Well, it just it's just not chopped enough. Mm-hmm. It's, it, yeah. it's, it needs to be choppier, you're saying? So so you're saying if if I'm going to cut the ass off a bike, I should really just go for it? Yeah, I mean, go big or go home. So example would be the... 82 CB 450s. Oh, my God. Seen at the, the Myrtle Beach Nopi Nationals. If you squint just right, it looks like a bike just ends <laughs> there behind is, the intakes. It looks like a unicycle. Like, yeah, well, they, they appear to have got a hardtail rig um, where the strut that holds the back wheel from falling off is mm. well, where the seat is. Where there is a pan-shaped A piece of thing. wood thing. There's a seat-shaped piece yeah. of thing. Wow. I so, mean, even the, the, the seats on Eric Buell's race bike looks cushier than this. Yeah. This is, this is quite the thing. He's and got he wants here. 10 grand for it. Well, you know, cause it's super cost. I mean, you know, look, your price actually goes up, um, you know, linear fashion based upon how much of the ass of the bike you've chopped off. So since he has chopped off the entire back, um, half of the bike, uh, then by that, definition this bike must be incredibly valuable why does it have two air filters uh one for each carb okay uh. yeah so he doesn't he doesn't have a single air box he's got two individual pod filters on it okay because you can't mount an air box because it turns out the air box is actually in the back half of the bike which is conspicuously missing in this case uh, yeah there is no there's wow Yep. I also note that he's put a super, super, super duper, duper, duper big front wheel on it, How which is... looks like it barely clears the pipes. Can a person? Okay. You sit on the bike. You sit okay, on that if seat. You put your butt on that seat. Can you reach those bars? Uh, you know, I'm not sure that you can. Can you reach those bars? With... Where do your feet go? Okay. Uh, your feet go on the pegs, which are right under the seat. Right under. Which you, I think. I think my boots are actually longer than the distance between the seat can and you, the pegs. Can you ride this bike? I'm not sure you can. And maybe that's what he's counting on. I mean, this, uh, I mean, okay, trailer queen is one thing, but this is just, can you ride this bike? <laughs> I am not 100% certain. It's a hardtail, so you wouldn't want to. Well, yeah, but um, I mean, wow. Yeah, it's, it's quite the thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> for sale, stretched 82, CB450, back end conspicuously missing. I mean, not street legal, clearly, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, can you, can you even ride it into your trailer? Can you, can, uh, you, can you ride it? You, you know, you could probably stand next to it and, uh, run the engine and use that to push, push it up push the it? ramp into okay. the trailer. Yeah. Yes. Cause that would work. That's, yeah, wow. It's got a nice orange paint job. $10,000. Not as nice as the other bike. The other bike had a much nicer paint job. That's true. That's true. I, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, so no tail or or dog paddle. Hmm. Uh, I think I got to go with the no ass end at all. In fact, <laughs> taking it to the no back half is really where it's at now. That's the new. That's the new thing to beat. Wow. Yep. Well done, sir. We salute you. Strong. A strong showing. You think that's a gas tank uh, gauge? Where on the side here? Uh, why would you need one? 
Oh yeah, yeah. That's the cheesy. Is. That's the cheesy yeah. gas gauge where you do the the, the, the piece of hose. Yeah, I'm running on the through. outside. Yeah. yeah, but why? Yeah, why would you need one? Uh, right, because you know where you're gonna go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of gas yet? No, no, you're you're fine. It's a CB450. It gets a jillion miles to the gallon. <laughs> well, let's see. No, it doesn't appear to have any sort of rear brake. Uh, no, that would be too hard. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, or suspension in the rear. Yeah. Yeah. God, God, no. It's it's quite the thing. That is that is horrible. Something there, you know, there are more sensible but less cool bikes in the world, like you know, like like a 2007 Suzuki V Storm SV650. V Storm. Yeah, it's like a special limited edition. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's 2007 Suzuki. It's actually, you know, what it is? It's like Costco. Wait a minute. It's a it's a V Storm SV650. Yeah, by Suzuki. Okay. But that's with two S's for those keeping track. This is like one of those is Costco this the brands, Chinese okay? One? Yeah, you know, like you go to Costco and you know, like you can get like the 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 Sherp TVs or the uh, the Sunny, uh-huh. um, you know, electronics. Yeah. It's that kind of that okay. kind of thing. Yeah. So, so this is a, a 2007 V-Storm. Suzuki V-Storms SV650. Okay. The bike looks and runs like new. No, only- no, 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 no. You're doing it wrong. Oh, sorry. The bike looks and runs like new. Only has 5,400 miles. Fuel injected 55 miles per gallon comes with sport windshield, tailbag, and rear stand. I'm selling the bike because I'm 82 years old and just don't ride it enough to keep it norm. Computers are hard. Computers are hard. Now, here's the part that really is perverse about this ad. Okay. It says sold on it. <laughs> well, thirty two hundred dollars. Someone's gonna buy it. That's true. Yeah. And, and before, before and it's a V Storm SV six fifty. V Storm SV six fifty. And all I can think as I'm looking at this is which one a hole. <laughs> it looks like it was actually an SV six fifty. Okay, you saw the picture of it. Yeah, I saw okay. the picture of it. It was an SV six fifty that you know he put some of the standard mods on. Okay. And why do you call it a V Storm? I think he was a confused man. He's 82 years old. <laughs> I'm going to see how my bike is. This Suzuki 650. I must be a, this star. Kids and your crazy names. Are you doing Bill Cosby? No, baby. Put it bops. <laughs> Put it bops. <laughs> I'm going to sell my bike. Buy the bike, get boom pop. Boop a dee Is that a comfortable sweater you wear? <laughs> Soft. <laughs> yeah, no. Sure, sleepy. People, the people were here. Sleepy. The people were here. They took my sweater. So sleepy. But, uh, my kids. <laughs> well, um, nice job selling the bike, Norm. Well, well done, Norm. Well done. At the, hmm? Next yep. up, it's a Honda CB250. Steelhawk. Steelhawk? I'm not familiar with that. This looks like a Nighthawk. Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> it's a 1997 Honda CB250 Nighthawk motorcycle for sale with aluminum diamond plate <laughs> saddle boxes. It looks like, you know what it looks like he did? You know those things that go in truck beds? The uh-huh. big toolbox in the back? I think he took one and he sawed the fucker in half. <laughs> and he I, put it on either side of his Nighthawk. I think you're right. I think those boxes weigh more than the Nighthawk 250. I think you're right. I they think those boxes are they're man. They are boxes. They are boxes, sir. <laughs> they they've got wow. You know Box. what those you know what those boxes are? Somebody's welding project. 
Ooh, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Someone went to welding class. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Where are they selling it? Is it uh, in Hennepin, Colorado, in Minneapolis? Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Could be a, could be a sort of blue-collar area. It's awful close to two big interchanges. Mm. I have to check with my sister. Or listeners. Listeners, is uh, is Hennepin County, uh, you know, full of welding schools? <laughs> Someone's so. welding project. There was some extra diamond plate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know what I could do. <laughs> and now, only later does he realize <laughs> this is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I need to sell it ASAP because I need the money more than the bike. <laughs> Do tell. It's great on gas. Just fill those side boxes <laughs> up. You won't need it for a month. It's a great starter bike or commuter, and the edge is a razor sharp. You know, I am, yeah, commuter. You fucking, it, that's a great travel bike. You can pack the house in. As long that. as you don't mind. As long as you don't mind. I mean, Nighthawk will do about seventy-five with my fat butt on it, just absolutely flat out, flat against the tank. So your fat bite and those boxes full. 50, 45. <laughs> <laughs> on a good day with the boxes scraping on the ground and throwing sparks everywhere. What's this? It needs a few minor things, that, but they are cheap, and you can choose to customize with them like the turn signals. It needs a few minor things like turn signals. <laughs> okay, here's a hint. If a bike is missing turn signals, what do you suppose has just happened? Uh, he had to take them off to make room for the boxes. <laughs> um, good point. <laughs> I wow. can't imagine sitting comfortably on that thing. Look, they I, come up to like right where the butt of right, the seat Right is. where the razor sharp edge will poke you in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> Ow. That, Ow. Ow. I make bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you accelerate hard, you'll. Oh, wait. Wait. Never mind. It's a night hawk. I mean, the the hell of it is, I'm looking at this, a 97 Nighthawk CB250, if it's really running great, Uh um, it might almost be worth it to buy it and just shit can the box. (laughs) (laughs) You can't fault him on, you know, being a a motivated seller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, (laughs) this bike will go until time ends with very few parts, but... (laughs) And you can carry every single one of those parts and its twin <laughs> in those boxes. boxes. <laughs> you can carry all the parts you need to build another CB259. These boxes are bigger than the boxes of my Strom. These boxes are bigger than my Strom. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're big. They're big boxes. It's like Claire luggage. Yep. Thunk. Oh, sorry. You can carry Claire in that box. <laughs> You can carry one Claire on each side. You, you cut a window in those box, Claire can live comfortably. <laughs> That's bigger than my college apartment. <laughs> Ooh, wow. Good heavens. <laughs> okay. That, uh, that was an ill-advised motorcycle. Not at all like a very expensive 1974 Vespa 125 Primavera laptop computer desk. One of a kind custom laptop computer desk and charging station. Mm-hmm. For sale, a one 1974 Vespa 125, blah, blah, blah. One of a kind laptop computer desk and charging station. This was made from a real Vespa frame and has been <laughs> hardwired with two outlets, one for the charging station and one to plug in a laptop if needed or whatever else. Simply plug it into a standard outlet, headlight and taillight are also wired with night lights and light switches to turn <laughs> on and off. Charging station has two USB ports and two cords with nine different ends for different devices. 
This would be great for studio, bedroom, office, coffee shop, waiting area, dorm, hipster apartment, hipster bedroom, hipster studio, hipster office. Call or text if you have questions. Does not come with laptop or any devices shown attached. So it is indeed a an old Vespa frame uh, that has been turned into a laptop desk. This would be awesome for my kid. Uh, yes, actually it would. I, I'm I got to be honest. I'm looking at it. I'm kind of thinking like this would be a little bit awesome for me. It's cool. It's a bit cool. I now here's the thing that I think they missed out on. Huh? The Vespa is a big unibody, right? Okay. And this is a big steel unibody. This thing would be an incredibly heat efficient case to build a computer directly into. Oh yeah. Down yeah. in there. Yeah, right down in the tail seat. section. It's not like there's a freaking engine there anymore. Right, yeah. You could build a computer into it, put the screen on the top, and it would be just the most badass rig ever. Wow. How sweet would that be? Chuck is already hatching plans. I can see it. I can hear the gears grinding and smell the smoke. <laughs> Coming soon to Chuck house. Vespa pewter. I know someone with a Vespa. In fact, you know what we need? We need two of these. This is the new Wheel Nerd Studio. <laughs> <laughs> Two Vespa chairs. Vespa pewters. I like this idea. <laughs> and then we can hang like the little like nice microphones with the this thing in the front yeah. of us off of it. You uh-huh. know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like this idea a lot. Mm-hmm. This is solid. Rock solid. Where this is also in Hennepin County. Yeah, there's welding class. There's there. welding. There's a welding school. <laughs> there's a in shop that town class. right now. There's something going, going on. on. <laughs> People are churning out way welded goods are available in Hennepin. <laughs> this one actually looks kind of awesome. Yep, I, I like it. I do too. <laughs> it's a shame it's a Vespa seat and will be really uncomfortable to sit on for any length of time. But you know, you just swap that out for some sort of swap. It's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, because it, it looks there. like it's you know, yeah, yeah. It's just a seat on springs and a hinge. Yeah, yeah put something cushy on there like a Ural seat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 you know, I do have that Harley seat. Still. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to give that to me. What? <laughs> you don't need it. Well, that's true. <laughs> you don't need it. I do. Uh, we'll see. I'll pay you something. Okay. Triscuits. I don't know. You like that beer you're drinking? <laughs> I'm going to drink more of you. <laughs> so. Uh, so, oh, there was one more ad I want to show you. Okay. It's a 1989 um, 100R Series GS. Hmm. R100GS, yeah. Okay. Um, it's got like 14,000 miles. Mm-hmm. This, this is like one of the granddaddies of the adventure bike. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. it's a beaut. And I, if I bought this bike, I could say I, I finally got a BMW GS. Are you flipping me off? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I like you less just because you're considering buying this bike. I um, I got to be honest. Why? I, now, it's a cool bike. Yeah. It's the why you're buying it that annoys me. Just to say I have a BMW GS? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be a smug bitch about it. Yeah, yeah. I, meanwhile, this bike is, is quite a good bike that somebody could, you know, ride the pants off of. I might ride it to the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to use it for adventure Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> but look, it's 14,000 miles and, you know, 89, 88 bike. That's mm-hmm. fucking awesome. You, well, that, keep in mind that means it has sat for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, if it runs well, who cares at that point? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty, no doubt about it. I um, let me think the R100GS that probably won't drag its um, its cylinders first. There's a problem with the R100 series. Mm-hmm. The cylinders are so damn big that they would drag on the ground before the rest of the bike. The GS is tall enough that shouldn't be an issue, you'd think. Yeah, and it looks like it's got uh, engine guards mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to drag first. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, this bike's pretty sexy. It's pretty spiffy. Yeah. Pretty spiffy. Yeah. Till it breaks down, then it'll be less spiffy. Well, <sighs> but, you know. Something from 1989... Mm-hmm. I should be able to learn to fix it. There's not that much to it. Yeah. Really. I mean, bikes were bikes. Men were men. Well, and it's like the Ural in that, you know, what do you need to work on in the engine? No problem. It's out in the open. Yeah. Where are your carbs? They're hanging out there. Cylinders hanging off the damn side. 1989 was a good year. I was 17, mm-hmm. you know, cruising around town with my friends. Mm-hmm. Making fun of old men who bought, rode this bike. Totally. Look at that guy. He's in his 40s and he's riding a BMW. I am so not <laughs> posting a link to this ad, so screw you guys. <laughs> Never going up. Ever, ever, ever. The paint is pretty good. Yeah. I got to give it up. I'm I'm amazed at how this bike looks. Mm-hmm. The thing is, if I did buy that bike... yeah. Would I have to get rid of the Buell? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's not going to ride near as good as the Buell. That's no, the thing. No, yeah. it's, it's It's still an wait, 80s wait, wait, wait. bike. Say that again? It's not going to ride near as good as the Buell. Oh. I never had any problem with how the Buell rides. The Buell <laughs> rides beautifully. It just doesn't do it for long. <laughs> <laughs> this new one does. Yeah. So far. Okay. So far. Yeah, I, I mean, it's going to ride like a late 80s bike, which is, you know, could be worse. No. Uh-huh. Could be better. I, I don't know. Something, something. I'm... Okay. I mean, clearly, I, I, I need the Zeus. Yeah, I think, I think you need to save your pennies for the, the Zeus. Zeus and the AX. But, I think the Zeus know, is yeah. really. If that goes for, you know, like fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars, yeah, it's not gonna go for that. Not in that condition. Yeah. No, there's enough people who look at this bike and just immediately like need new shorts that it's not gonna go for that. No, man. Yeah. It's also possible his reserve is un, un unattainable, unreasonably high. So. There you go. Yeah. Onward, Onward to a slightly less awesome topic. Yeah, this sucks. Yeah. So we got sent this link about an adventure writer who went missing and then they found his remains. Yeah, sucks. And um, it looks like uh, whatever, you know, foul play befell this writer. Mm-hmm. He, his body and his bike were dumped several yep. times. And it just, uh, it sucks. And, the you know, the story itself... You know, we'll post a link to it. It's hard enough to read. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that sucks. This is that thing that everyone's like, oh, that'll never happen. Yep. Well, what sucks is when you get to the comment section of this mm-hmm. thing, everyone's got tons of stories about bad stuff happening. And it's just like, shit, this huh. sucks so hard. <laughs> but, you know, think back to all, we know so many people who have done these kind of rides mm-hmm. through South America, Central America. And, you know, this is clearly a minority, but still, man, you read this kind of thing, it just drags you down. Yeah, that's a bummer. It sucks that it happened to, you know, somebody who was, I mean, this this guy, Harry Devert, is, you know, he's one of those inspiring kind of guys. You know, that's his thing. I don't think he set out to do it, but he kind of became that. Uh Uh-huh. It sucks, you know. Yeah. He had a blog, and he was basically writing to go to the World Cup. And mm-hmm. you know, Well, and, you know, then when he disappeared, I mean, for a long time, there was all sorts of crazy, like, you know, what happened to him. It was this, it was that, and, you know, theories and crazy crap. And, yeah, it turns out he was dead. 
Yeah, not sucks. not just dead, but it looks like dead through foul play, not even like yeah. an accident or something. It's like, yeah, someone went after this guy. Yeah, which is very strange. The fact that the bike is, you know, with him is awfully odd. Yeah, yeah. Like they didn't take it to sell yeah. it or strip it or something. Yeah. And they're, and they're saying in the article it's a reburial, so he had been buried somewhere, him and his bike, mm-hmm. and then dug back dug up and, and then dumped. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just but craziness. The, the comments section is what particularly uh, depressed me about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like I need to call Ben Slavin up and be like, talk me down. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me it's okay. Like, uh, you know, here's one, just scrolling, right, you know, randomly. Missing British Columbia man found tied to a tree in Mexico, dead. <laughs> now, motorcycle rider, he's just an expat, but, mm. or, you know, he was an expat living in Mexico, but still, like, damn, that's, that sucks. Yeah. So, you know, respect to, to Harry Dever, man, that's, that, that sucks, but, uh, yeah. Yep. Moving on. Uh, so we got, you know, more depressing stuff for you. Depressing stuff? Oh, God. I don't no, think just, I can take any more depressing here, stuff. Here, let's look at this. Crazy's, oh my God, Crazy Street Eagle trike motorcycle is powered by a 1,200 horsepower Hemi. This this is going to go on Raptor Cable. Penis! <laughs> this, Penis! This is going on Raptor Cat's TV show. Yeah, this is like the, the, the sidekick or something. I don't know. Sidekick? <laughs> That's like season two villain. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, Hemi powered trike. And yeah, it does totally look like the penis, penis. especially with the way the penis. rider is mounted on that it's, bike. It's mounted. You sit so that everyone can tell that this is your penis. <laughs> the front, penis. The front wheel looks like a penis head. Yes, the the, uh, the two side wheels are his balls. There's just no getting away. Now that you've said it, there's no getting yes. away from this. That this is a giant yes. penis. Well, wait, go back. Let's read the description here real fast. It's hard to classify this as a motorcycle, not only because of the three wheels. <laughs> this is the fact that it comes across more of a hot rod. Rod. We think that's where builder Tim Cotero was going when he designed and crafted this beast he's dubbed the Rocket. That name was taken, asshat. <laughs> that he's dubbed the Penis. <laughs> it has a 1,200 horsepower. No, 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 no. He's dubbed it. My penis. <laughs> My penis. It has a 1,200 horsepower Hemi V8 engine. Custom-built suspension, almost anything else you can think of, apart from comfort or handling or a passenger compartment. Wow. But penis. Penis. <laughs> it's nice to see someone creating something so different from what everyone else is doing. How do you figure? I'd still ride it. Penis. I'd take it for a ride. <laughs> the, the first person who buys one of these or just buys this is going to paint it pink. <laughs> Draw veins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that might actually make it kind of cool because it would be hilarious. <laughs> make it a literal penis. Make it a literal penis and like drive through the Castro district real slow. <laughs> You have like a parade following you. In the net mesh tank top. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the mesh tank top is overdoing it by the time you're writing this painted, <laughs> painted as it was clearly intended to be painted from day one. Well, that's why he hasn't painted it yet. <laughs> He's like, well, I was going to paint it, but it looked even more like a penis when I painted it. <laughs> 
It was a real problem. Speaking of Fruit Village, you see the, the new Polaris slingshot? Yeah, it's like uh, a side-by-side spider. Yeah. 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 Like a, well, I was thinking more like a side-by-side uh, F1 or something. Except with three wheels. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it doesn't, there's nothing about it that says motorcycle to me. No, at that point, you're like, funny car. Yeah. Other than, I guess you, it's classed as a motorcycle. You oh, to, good. You have to wear, you have to have a motorcycle license. You have to wear a helmet. Yeah, yeah. It falls under those laws. Yeah, if you didn't wear a helmet, you're a moron anyway, so, you know. Right. <laughs> it looks like it might be fun to take for a ride. Eh, it might be fun. If it's like the spider, it's going to be sort of entertaining, but ultimately boring. <laughs> spiders, spiders are great, and it does exactly what it says on the tin. And if you want a three wheel that's relatively easy to ride and mm-hmm. you know goes real fast and goes around corners really well, the spider will do that. It, it, it doesn't in a very civilized fashion, though, like a little <laughs> too civilized. Yeah, I don't want that. I want to do something a little crazy. No, <laughs> little light flashes, and it says "act your age." <laughs> it just says "no." Act your age. It's a, it's a light with a big red B. <laughs> B B B. <laughs> Anti-Billy system active. So we have a guest this week. Yes, we do. His name is John Heyman. He's a personal injury lawyer from the Northeast, uh, and his practice, one of his specialties, is uh, motorcyclists. I'm sure, as a lawyer, you have never gotten prank calls, ever. Oh, I've had my fair share, that's for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes I say, well, come on, give me a call. Let's hear something new and different and creative, and it's always my pleasure. Guess you got to laugh or you'll cry, right? You know, we have a number of lawyers in the office, and uh, I actually uh, go out of my way to talk to virtually every client in the office. So, uh, and, and uh, I get to know a little bit of about everybody who, who comes comes across my my way, so uh, I'm really feeling good about that. So, John, we're talking to you because Chuck encountered your booth at Americade, uh-huh. which was, uh, I guess, a little unexpected. But well, yeah, you know, I was just walking along and I saw um, some really attractive girls in shorts, and that that speaks to my interest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it turns out they were representing a law firm. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Yes, and uh, I apologize. I wasn't up there this year. Uh, I've I've been up there. We've been at Americade for well over fifteen years consecutively, and uh, I'm very honored to be the only law firm that's represented at Americade. So you're probably leading up to what's with the girls, all right? Actually, my question is: if you were there at Americade too, would you be in the same kind of shorts? No, I don't think I would be. Oh, okay. Good, I yeah. don't. Think, I don't think I have the, the legs, nor would I be wearing the heels that they have. I expect with just the what you had going on, you're just that's sort of your target market. Is mm-hmm. I mean, everyone at Americade are these guys in vests, and they're your mm-hmm. stereotypical writer guys. And what better way to speak to them other than free beer? That probably costs more money. Well, actually, Americade is an interesting uh, event. Uh, very very different than than most of your very large events. Uh, uh, it really caters to the uh, over fifty crowd, over forty five crowd for the most part. It's uh, mostly uh, couples, and probably they spend more money per person at Americade than at any other. They've done this, uh, tallied this previously. They, the people who uh, go to Americade spend more money per person than at any other show in the country. You, you'll notice a lot of husbands and wives holding hands and walking around, strolling around together, and uh, they uh, ride their touring bikes, a lot of touring bikes up there. 
And it's a fun event. And we've been very honored to be invited. I give a seminar. I couldn't do it this year. I was on trial, but uh, I give a seminar. But uh, uh, we also uh, give out uh, event guides to to, uh, the people who pass by our booth. And uh, yeah, yeah, you do a lot of events with your law firm, I saw. Yeah, we, yeah, we attend a lot of events throughout the Northeast, and, uh, you know, we'd like to think of ourselves as the law firm for injured motorcyclists. Most of the lawyers in the office ride, a lot of the paralegals in the office ride as well, so uh, it, we understand the mechanics, the physics, and most every aspect of a motorcycle accident claim, and so we're really happy to help the people. You know, it's I, I can go back to many, many years ago when uh, we used to have to get uh, go, go go to the local store and get a, a long sleeve shirt for a client because they had tattoos that we had to cover up when we went to trial, and uh, uh, you know maybe get them a haircut, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, times have changed, of course, but it's very interesting because we've had to deal with uh, all kinds of prejudices, and it still exists to a certain extent against motorcyclists. We understand how to represent the motorcyclist and uh, how to represent their best interests uh, in front of a jury or a judge. So uh, l- let me start with the blatantly obvious first question. So I've just been in a crash. You know, I'm on the ground. What- what should I be thinking about? What do I need to be doing? What, what's the right thing for me to be doing in this case as a motorcyclist? Because, I mean, people need to know this. They're not in their good frame of mind at that point. Right. Well, you know, sometimes it's pretty hard to think logically at the time. Hopefully you're riding with friends, but, you know, don't move your bike. Call the police. Uh, exchange insurance information with the other parties. Uh, if there are witnesses, get their names and addresses and ask them to stay and remain to talk to the uh, a police officer when he arrives because oftentimes the police officer arrives at the scene, of course, after the fact and now obtains information from various witnesses. And that information can be either erroneous or can be truthful. Uh, and most people are not giving erroneous information on purpose. It's just that we've discovered uh, that the, the eyes fool the mind. And a motorcycle, for example, because it's loud and because it's on two wheels, appears to be going, and it's been proven by physicists, uh, that it appears to be going faster than it truly, it truly is. So oftentimes we hear, well, the motorcyclist was going like a bat out of hell, and, uh, and in fact, not the case. So if you're in an accident, you just, you know, don't move and stay where you are and get the police, exchange information, get to the emergency room as quickly as possible, uh, get it on record and call your attorney. Or in this case, you. Well, I would hope that uh, the the people appreciate what we have to offer, but uh, thank you very much. Call John. So now you, you mentioned you mentioned a sort of a, a sort of prejudice about motorcyclists. Have you experienced a lot of prejudice for being a motorcyclist or a lawyer? Absolutely. A motorcyclist lawyer? Oh Lord! <laughs> D- does your family still talk to Are you? Are there stores you can't go into? Well, you know, this will be my uh, fifth, sixth family uh, I've had to deal with. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> crazy about, you know, the sound of a motorcycle and loud pipes, so I, I, you know, I try to be respectful of my neighbors, but at the same time, they've got to understand and appreciate that this is something that I enjoy doing, and I'm an enthusiast. 
and more than just an enthusiast, it's kind of a way of life. And it's uh, I don't ride with my wife uh, purposely. Uh, I'll go out with buddies and uh, uh, ride, and it's a nice way to just spend a little free time with some friends. So in my case, it's not a family thing. Never has been. What are you riding? Well, uh, I have a, uh, of course, I have a sportster. That's what I ride around the neighborhood. And I have a, a shovelhead, a 76 shovelhead. I got that, and I uh, have had that for many, many years, of course. And uh, that was when I first started practicing law. Oh, wow. Add that up. <laughs> How many motorcycle accidents have you been in? One serious one. Did you sue him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you remember that old song, a man man called Sue, right? <laughs> Do you ever hear, you remember that song? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> My dad loved that song. So anyway, uh, yeah, of course. When I say of course, it's not that I take it casually or treat it lightly. It's just that, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, do, you, do you gentlemen ride? Oh, yes, just a little bit. Okay. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you know there there are right, there are rights that ought to be protected. And if you're involved in an accident, whether it's on four wheels or two wheels, and you're out of work and you're inconvenienced and you can't spend time with your family, you can't appreciate what life has to offer for any period of time. You ought to be compensated, and the way the American system works is you're compensated financially and rightfully so, in my opinion. So I have no compunction about that. I, I, you know, if a lot of people come to me and they mm-hmm. feel a little apologetic about retaining our law firm services, and I say, I don't know why you're apologizing. The insurance industry is probably the most powerful industry in, in the United States. It's uh, the only business other than a Major League Baseball that is exempt from antitrust laws. So no need to apologize. They're getting wealthy as a result of our continuing to pay massive premiums. The insurance is paid for to protect us if we've been injured. It seems like the kind of job where everybody's kind of giving you crap and they're not not so crazy about you right up until they need you. Well, I've been fortunate in that. That's one of the, the nice things about being an integral part of the motorcycle community because ever so many of the people... Or my clients are also my friends. I, I, you know, I ride with them. I go to shows and events with them, and you no, know, they respect me for what I do, just as I respect them for what they do. So, yeah, there are a number of people who may give me a hard time from time to time, uh, you know, because of what I do for a living. But you know, I suppose if you're a, a plumber, somebody will give you a hard time. Nobody likes plumbers until your sink is leaking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody's got stuff, to, uh, an opinion Absolutely. about uh, everything well, nowadays. You've right? been practicing law for uh, what thirty some years now. Yeah. What What got you into specializing with dealing with motorcyclists? Well, it's not exclusively a motorcycle practice, but uh, this time of year, we we really devote our energies to representing the motorcyclists. Don't forget, we're in the Northeast, and mm-hmm. a very small percentage of motorcyclists really ride between December and. Uh, in, uh, in April. Yeah, sure. So that time of year, we're busy with other things. We, you know, we handle medical malpractice cases and auto accidents, slip and fall, product defect cases. So uh, uh, this is just the time of year that people are out riding and, and they need protection and they need somebody who they can count on uh, taking good care of them. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of something. Uh, my my experience is that uh, ever so many riders. I'll, I'll meet them uh, in the hospital, and the first thing they'll say to me is, how's my bike? You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, 
I don't know how the bike is when I first meet with him, but I do have somebody on my staff who's a property damage specialist because uh, I recognize how important the bike is to an individual, how it uh, represents an expression of their own individuality and their taste. And, uh, you know, they want to make sure it's preserved, protected, and well compensated for. So we have somebody actually on staff full-time just getting people reimbursed for the damage to their bikes. And I certainly don't charge for that. I think lawyers should do that as a courtesy to the clients. Um, Not only as a courtesy, but uh, uh, frankly, the best approach from a lawyer's perspective is do not have your client have any communication with the insurance company because they'll take something that you say inadvertently and use it uh, out of context and use it against you. So I always advise people to refrain from talking to the insurance company. Hmm. That's an interesting one. So when you say talking to the insurance company, I assume you mean... Well, let me give you an example of something. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Now, people come in my office. I say, well, tell me, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm fine. I said, all right. Now, if I'm a doctor... I mean, clearly you're not fine because you're here to see me, correct? All right. (laughs) I don't believe you. (laughs) So then they'll say, well, I I was just being social. I say, that's exactly why I don't want you to talk to the insurance company. (laughs) Because you may say something inadvertently and it'll be used out of context and used against you. So I, I advise them just be strictly business when you're talking to your doctor, for example, because the doctors write medical reports. Those reports, a large part, reflect what you say is wrong with you. If, so just talk to them, be, you know, strictly business. And you know if, you, if you've ever been in an accident and you deal with an orthopedist, they don't have time to, you know, fool around anyway. So, that, you know, they'll give you a few minutes of their time and tell them exactly what disturbed you and don't diagnose yourself and, and lay it on the line for the doctor so that they can give you the appropriate care that you need. So it's that all business thing. And, of course, the person on the phone is probably some nice person who's just doing their job for minimum wage, so they're going to be friendly, but that can work against you too. Interesting. They're still writing down everything you yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, you know, a lot of these insurance companies, they get kids out of college and, you know, they're overzealous and, uh, you know, they're, they're trained to pick up on certain things and they're towing the company line, you know. So I think a, a job of a lawyer is to forewarn. For example, a lot of people are on social media. We have a pretty nice website as well as uh, we're pretty active on Facebook. I tell my clients who are on Facebook or any social media do not talk about your acts. Uh, you know, for example, feeling good today. You know, I'm uh, I'm going to the store, and I say, well, you know, if an insurance adjuster is looking at that, they're going to take that out of context and say, well, you're good enough to get up and go to the store, and you're feeling good. Why aren't you go back? Why aren't you back at work? You know, things like that. It's always best, and I, and I mean this in all sincerity, because you guys are out in the western part of the country, but. Whether you're on the East Coast or West Coast or, or a Rocky Mountain area, uh, doesn't matter. Um, you have to think before you say anything and really go to your lawyer right away. I mean, don't wait because professionals going to tell you and advise you and direct you how, uh, what to say and what not to say, not to distort the truth, not to tell an untruth, but just what not to say to protect yourself. And that's one of the roles of the professional. So we got, we got a whole bunch of listener questions, and I'd love to bounce a few off of you. Okay. And I recognize that these are your opinions. And, and... Don't ask me to give legal advice like that, though. You know, be, I could be held 
legally responsible, but I'll do my best to be... Uh, we'll, we'll just throw that out right now. You are not legally responsible for anything you say on our show. So, in fact, you might not even be a lawyer. Right. <laughs> this may or may not be an actual lawyer since he didn't know who we were when we called him. Yeah, we're not, we might not even be a real podcast. We could just be two guys calling you on the phone. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Weirdos. Yeah. All right, so um, first one that's particularly interesting. So um, some states require medical insurance to foot the bill in injuries incurred due to a motorcycle crash. Apparently Utah's one of them, which makes me grind my molars a little bit. Um, but auto insurance covers injuries in a car crash. What, what do you think about this? Is this that 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 prejudice in, at work or what? Um, I think the insurance companies and the legislatures in different states have a different view. But the general view is that, uh, you know, ever so many states in, on the East Coast don't require medical insurance as part of your auto package or your motorcycle package. It's an option that you can purchase. So uh, I, I recognize that the lobby against uh, mandatory medical insurance for motorcyclists is probably directed by the insurance industry to control their costs. What, what's the most typical of your cases like? Are you, is, are you generally representing someone fighting their own insurance company, no. fighting someone else's insurance company? We represent, uh, and again, it's the Heyman Law Firm, so in case your listeners aren't aware, uh, Heyman Law Firm, and uh, we are in the Northeast, and we represent the victims of accidents. In other words, when somebody acts in an irresponsible manner and causes you an injury or harm, you have a right to pursue a claim against that party, and that party uh, has presumably has insurance and or other assets mm -hmm. to cover the injury. And there's various factors in determining the value of a, a, any kind of injury claim. Okay. Mm. You've talked a few times about dealing with the insurance companies, and that's kind of, that's what's made me wonder, is, is there a lot of ca cases where people are fighting their own insurance over a motorcycle accident? Well, when they're fighting their own insurance company, First of all, you should be looking at the the wrongdoer's insurance to be responsible for the damage to your motorcycle. The wrongdoer's insurance for the personal injury claim, and that's called liability insurance. You would look to your own insurance company for two reasons. For example, on a property damage claim, if you had good collision coverage on your motorcycle, and when I say good, uh, you know, a lot of bikes can be customized and could be thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar bikes before you're through. You gotta, you gotta purchase specialized insurance, and the other party's insurance company is not going to pay for those specialized parts. There's a general rule, so if you want to look to your own insurance company, that's the route to go to make sure you get fully compensated. But you have to again be advised in advance that to cover your uh, customized bike, you got to get the appropriate insurance for that. Now, there's something else that motorcyclists should be well aware of is the fact that uh, uh, most people carry minimum insurance on their cars. That differs. I don't know what... And you're in Utah. Uh, and what's the minimum insurance in Utah? Uh, liability and medical. Liability. I don't know the dollar amount. Yeah, not sure the dollar amount. The number that the insurance company quotes. All right, well, let, let me... I'm going to guess that it's probably twenty or maybe $25,000, and 75% statistically of all people on the road carry minimum insurance on their vehicles. So three out of four drivers are carrying minimum insurance, so the remaining 25%, maybe 20% of those have no insurance at all on their vehicles. 
So you can carry what's called uninsured motorist protection. Yep. Mm-hmm. And again, how that is handled varies from state to state, but at the very least, uninsured or underinsured motorist protection uh, protects you if you have a claim that exceeds the uh, amount of insurance that the wrongdoer carries on his uh, on his or her car. So if, for example, the wrongdoer had a $20,000 policy and you have a $300,000 claim, and my, my experience tells me that uh, the most you're going to get from that person is $20,000 because people who have assets, if they have a home, if they have bank accounts, or if they have things to protect, they're going to purchase insurance commensurate with what they have to protect. So you have a right to purchase what's called uninsured motorist protection, and that means you can look to the uh, insurance of the wrongdoer, collect the 20000 and then if, for example, you have a $250,000 uninsured motorist policy, you can collect up to an additional 250000 In some states, it's two fifty. Some states, it's two fifty minus the twenty you've already collected. So I don't want to bore your, your listeners with too much technical information, but that's... That's something that uh, motorcyclists should be well aware of. Carry, uh, the cost of uninsured motorist protection on your motorcycle is minimal. Right. So, so something we're seeing more of now is the, these people regularly using a helmet carrier. I mean, there's the YouTube videos of the cop going berserk and all that, but it seems to be a thing now of people who talk about they ride all the time with a camera, so if there's a crash, yada, 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 they'll have stuff. It, What's your opinion on having the cameras? I mean, do you think it's worth the investment in hassle? Is is it that valuable? What do you think? Honestly, uh, I've I've never had a case involving a client who had a care a, a camera uh, on their on their helmet. Hmm. Well, there you go. So it couldn't answer that. <laughs> I don't see how it I don't see how it would hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, take for example the typical case. You're going straight ahead. Somebody makes an improper left hand turn in front of you. Um, boy, if you had that on camera, that would certainly be helpful, wouldn't Pretty it? Pretty cut and dry at that yeah. point, huh? Right. Is, is the left-hand turn like sort of your most common kind of case that you see? Left-hand yeah. or pull-out? Okay. I would say yes. I mean, frankly, most accidents don't occur on highways or freeways. Uh, they're on side streets, uh, side roads or country roads, and it's the person who makes it an improper left-hand turn. It's a, it's a funny thing. I, you know, to be a personal injury lawyer, you have to have a lot of different areas of expertise, and you develop that over the years. But you've heard the expression, you know, the little old lady in the car says, I didn't see him or her on a motorcycle. Uh, Psychologically, yeah. that's, in fact, the truth. And I'm not defending the people who are wrongdoers, but psychologists have... Uh, they've, we, we've actually had them testify in court that the people may think they haven't seen the, the motorcyclist because their expectation uh, mentally is to see a car because maybe there's a car, there's a motorcycle behind the car, and their expectation is that there should be another car coming. So in their minds, they don't even recognize that there's a motorcycle right there at that point in time. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, continuing with this, the, the helmet camera questioning, um, 
if, which I, but you probably know more about than I do. Well, just this is more of a this is a hypothetical. I, I have no idea what, what would happen here if there is an accident and the motorcyclist has recorded it on his camera. Is uh, when a police officer comes, is he? Can he just take that as evidence? I would. Uh, uh, he can't take it unless you give it to him and say, "Would you please look at this?" Okay. But they they okay. can't compel the, you to, to turn it over. Okay, so it can't be confiscated. No, is it, that's the question. Okay. No. So, like, if the, you know, you got one minute of an accident and the other fifteen minutes is you doing wheelies. <laughs> right. right. But they can they can subpoena that part of it that we need to see the accident video from you kind of thing. Okay. Um, I don't know if subpoena is the right word. I suppose I suppose they could, you know. I don't know if they'd go to that trouble. You would know more than I do, but uh, uh, I, I, I have my doubts. But, you know, if it was a, a catastrophic accident, injury, uh, it, it's something they'd probably do. But if it's your typical accident, uh, not incredibly serious injuries. I doubt they'd go to that trouble. If you come across a, a pretty catastrophic motorcycle accident, and you're not a trained medical professional, do you are you exposing yourself to liability there if you're trying to help someone? Um, that differs from state to state. But mm, one thing good uh, we have that, stickers right? that we give to our clients and say, uh, it, unless you're a trained professional, don't remove the helmet. You can mm-hmm. do more harm than good. Mm-hmm. That's good advice in general. Leave the helmet on. Mm-hmm. It's protecting yeah. the head and the neck. That's right. There are different statutes in different states, and sometimes it's unfortunate, but uh, somebody who volunteers uh, can, in fact, be legally responsible if it's established that they've done greater harm as a result. Have you ever had to deal with uh, cases um, not on the road but on, like, uh, motorcycle racetracks? No. Okay. No, you know, the reason being is that, uh, generally speaking, you're, you know, you're on a racetrack and you're going to sign a release before you get on that track, and those releases are uh, They're not messing around. pretty uh, self-explanatory. They protect the, the racetrack. And then on a racetrack, it's a different situation because there's a theory in the law called assumption of the risk. Like, you go to a baseball game, for example, and I know you guys don't play baseball in Utah, right? You don't have any ballparks there. <laughs> We've got it, a triple-A. Okay, all right. Several but, hundred people. Anyway, We've but, seen a baseball. All right, well, I go to a ball game and you get hit in the head by a, a foul ball. Well, you can't sue the batter. You can't sue the club uh, because you've... Because you're in a damn baseball game. <laughs> Yeah, cause you're walking away with a baseball, hopefully. But but <laughs> but it's the truth is, there's head. a theory in the law called assumption of the risk. When you engage in some some activity, uh, you're assuming that th- this is a distinct possibility. Balls fly into the stands at at, at ball fields. All right, you go to a racetrack. Well, you're engaging in, in in a race, and people get injured as a result. And there's not really any rules of the road that apply on the racetrack, you know, just protect yourself as best you can. So uh, between that and the releases that are signed, not really a a, a situation where I've had incidences of uh, any kind of success. So now does that that assumption of risk thing sometimes backfire on the road? I mean, has someone tried to play that on you before? Were your clients a motorcyclist? You're on a motorcycle. You knew you were going to die. Oh, no, no, no. 
listen, we've had situations where, uh, no, that, that theory of assumption of the risk doesn't apply in that case at all, right? Because the people on two wheels are given the uh, same rights, duties, and responsibilities as people on four wheels. So, no, the assumption of the risk doesn't apply to that. In that so case. when someone tries that on you, you oh, well, you the motorcycles had it coming, you can tell them the law says you're full of shit. In a legal term. Well, in a legal term, correct, but, I mean, we've seen all kinds of defenses. Uh, let's see, I didn't see him or her on the bike because he or she was wearing black, right? That was one time, one time we had a defense. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you hear some absurd theories, and it, it shows that, uh, you know, it, it's quite helpful to have a lawyer who knows what they're doing representing you because... Again, they understand motorcycling and and where the risks are and where and and where the duties are on behalf of the people who are on the road. Uh, would you say the majority of cases settle out of court, or do they go go to court? Oh yeah, the vast majority of cases settle out of court. Okay. But we prepare every case as though we're, we were going to trial because you never know. But uh, you got to you know. The rule of thumb is that a lawyer who's a good lawyer and a diligent lawyer is a zealous advocate, and that means you're thorough, you're aggressive, and that's what being a professional is all about. And maybe that's why lawyers get a bad reputation, but the truth of the matter is that's the kind of lawyer you want protecting you in the event you had a problem. Well, yeah, clearly you want... Depends on which side of the lawyer you're sitting on. (laughs) I I want the biggest asshole in the world sitting next to me. (laughs) You know, in other words, when you represent the injured party, you're what's called the plaintiff. And the plaintiff means you're the offensive. You're on the offensive. You're the aggressor, all right? You've got to prove your claim. So you push. And the the defense, uh, the people representing the uh, party who you're claiming is at fault, you know, they want to slow it down, they want to stop it, they want to avoid and delay uh, payments and, and do everything in their power to do that. You know, the longer the insurance company holds on to your money, the more, even if they know they're going to ultimately pay, you know, the more interest they make on that money. So they're not anxious to turn it over quickly. <laughs> so changing tax a little bit. So lane splitting, big thing in California. Um, motorcycles, of course, are just, every, everyone wants to try it so badly. Yeah. Um, do you see this expanding from California? Do you think it'll turn into a liability nightmare if it does? What do you expect from that? I'm sorry. They, lane splitting is where you what, go what between is, lanes of cars when they're at a stop or almost stopped. California's essentially legalized it. Oh, they have. Okay. Well, you know, normally, at least in the law, we found that uh, the laws in California, are, generally speaking, are far more liberal uh, than they are on the East Coast. No. And ultimately, and ultimately, whatever prevails in California is going to exist maybe two, three, four, five years later uh, where we live. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case here. Um, you know, the, the lane splitting that you're referring to, I'm thinking to myself, uh, to myself, the, guy, the young younger guys on the, uh, you know, the rice rockets uh, who are, you know, uh, uh, doing wheelies and going in between cars yeah. and. Having fun, having fun, uh, you know, on 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 one wheel, you know. But uh, uh, the reality is a lot more boring. It turns out in California, it's a lot of people with like briefcases 
Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. California just because uh, the traffic density. People just kind of do the lane splitting as another lane. <laughs> it's the motorcycle-only lane. Yeah, on the line. Well, I can assure you, on the East Coast, you wouldn't you wouldn't get away with that. I mean, you can ride. <laughs> Not at least you, the you can, are like five feet wide. You can ride two abreast. Uh, uh, it, it's certainly legal to ride two abreast with a motorcycle, but you can't ride two abreast or create your own lane in this part of the country. But America! <laughs> yeah, wise up! Open your eyes! <laughs> Just think of all the time you wouldn't have to spend looking at cars! <laughs> right. What do, you, what do you find are your more common stereotypes? Of, of rider that comes to you is it is it the cruiser guy is it the rice rocket guy is it you know the hipster on a cafe bike no i'd say it's the uh, uh, my my typical client is anywhere from the age of 35 to 55 and is and is generally is uh, uh, riding a harley so the harley riders can't ride is what you're saying no <laughs> <laughs> dang it that has nothing to do with the fact that they can't ride they, that's what I get that, that seems to be the bike of choice by the majority of motorcyclists, at least around here. And yes, there's two of them for uh, every one so of I everything get... else. <laughs> Pardon me? I said there's two of them for everything, one of everything else. Right. Have you represented so, like club riders, like Hell's Angels, or I? I don't ask them about what what their political or club affiliations are. Although we represent a lot of different club members, but. My experience is Hell's Angels generally have a, a specific lawyer that they use for both their criminal cases as well as their personal injury cases. Who is probably also a Hell's Angel. <laughs> but we've represented Hell's Angels, certainly, yeah. Are there any, like, real kind of standout stories about, you know, some really unusual cases that you could tell us? I'm going to tell you a bizarre case. I mean, this was... It's not a motorcycle case, but this is as bizarre as it gets, right? So it's a little complicated. Um, a guy comes to us, and his wife got killed. And I was very sorry to hear that, and, and, I, and we got into the details of it. And as it turns out, his wife had left him uh, to be with another man, and she wanted to leave him the other man to go back to her husband. Well, the other man was did not have all his marbles. He's in the car with her, and he he shoots her, brings her to back to his home, and uh, now cuts her head off. Right. <laughs> this is a bizarre case. Now he cuts her head off, and he's driving around, and calls his work, and he says, I think I've done something wrong, and then ends up shooting himself, all right? And now he kills himself, right? So, normally in a case like that, the, the woman didn't die as a result of a car accident. She died because she was murdered, correct? Yeah. All right. So, but the man owns his, owned his own home, so we per, uh, the man the deceased man, all right? And so we pursued what's called a wrongful death claim against the estate of the person who killed himself. You follow that so far? So far, so good. Yep. All right. And we're, we were, we attached the home, all right? Now I'm thinking about it a little bit, and I, we always roundtable these interesting cases and try to come up with imaginative and creative theories. And then we would say, wait a minute, we not only can look to his home, 
but we can look to the homeowner's insurance of the home because homeowner's insurance covers negligent acts. And now we're scratching our heads saying, well, how do we prove negligence? I mean, <laughs> shot her, cut her head off, right? That's kind of... So we, we hired a forensic psychologist, and we managed to establish that the man, even though he didn't have a history of it, the man was not in his right mind at the time that he uh, killed her. And now, if he's not in his right mind, he didn't have the ability to knowingly do, do what he committed, right? So now we also allege not only that it was an intentional act, but it was also, in the alternative, a negligent act. He didn't know what he was doing, or he was beyond his control. So that was how we approached the homeowner's insurance. So we collected in two directions, and that's what you call being a zealous advocate and kind of creative. Dude, I am calling you if I ever need a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) You are a lawyer. (laughs) Wow. A good start. (laughs) You know, I got to tell you, it's very interesting. Being a good lawyer, I mean, you, you wear a lot of hats because we deal with psychologists, psychiatrists. We deal with... Uh, a- a- accident reconstruction specialists. Uh, we deal with uh, f- f- phys- uh, you know f- physicists and uh, y- you know uh, uh, collision e- experts and uh, you name it. I mean, there's all kinds of specialists. And by the time you're done, you really have a deeper, more thorough understanding of how something functions and why they function the way they do. And uh, that's the only way to really pursue a case uh, effectively and successfully is be thorough and do your homework. You know, I think every every client deserves that. Right. Well, circling back to something we talked about in the beginning, what's with the girls at the show? Okay, so let me tell you that story, and then I'm going to bid you a good night, if you don't mind. That sounds All right. great. All right. Um, I started promoting uh, the motorcycle business and aspect of my law practice many, many years ago. So first time I attended an event, we, I prepared what we refer to as an event guide. And an event guide talks about all the events that are taking place in, in the community and, and the East Coast, and it tells you a little bit about each event. Uh, we personalize it by talking about our law firm a little bit and our, you know, some case studies and case results. And I figured, well, the guys would come up to the booth and they'd be interested in that. And I produced a plastic business card and uh, it almost looks like a credit card with my picture on it and what to do in case of an accident. So first show I attended, I made the mistake of saying, well, I'm a lawyer. I'm going in my capacity as a lawyer, so I'll wear a suit and tie. <laughs> and then you stuck out like a sore thumb. All right. <laughs> Not only did I stick out like a sore thumb, uh, I think the, the patrons at the event figured I was probably the FBI or some, some <laughs> undercover agent, you know, who didn't know what the hell he was doing because he certainly didn't fit in. But they, So they didn't want to see me like that. All right, so the next show I went to, I wore uh, much more casual clothing. And, you know, my friends would come by, hey, John, good to see you, et cetera. But, you know, people I didn't know didn't stop by. Later that day, my wife called, my ex-wife, and I give her a lot of credit for being uh, creative. She was a former model, and she came by and said, let me help you. And she always wore short skirts and high heels. 
next thing I know, the guys are coming by and, you know, they're very interested in what I have to sell. Now, it wasn't me. It was my wife, right? She had a short skirt and uh, high heel shoes, and and she was pretty. So uh, I recognized, and I, I, the light bulb went off, and then I said, look, if it takes pretty girls to sell beer, it's going to take something like similar to that to attract people to, to our booth. And that, that has continued and has become known as the Heyman Girls, you know, and uh, people really uh, enjoy having the girls come to the events. Most of them come from families that, uh, that ride motorcycles, so the, the, it's something that they're quite familiar with and comfortable with. So uh, uh, it's grown, and, and they, they seem to be a treat. You know, certainly you saw them, and, you, you know, they're a sight for sore eyes, you know, so. Yep, totally worked. Got him on a podcast. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, so so just to close us out tonight, what's your favorite lawyer joke? Oh, you tell me. I don't know lawyer jokes. Oh, come on. I know you're a lawyer. You know all of them. I don't know lawyer jokes. <laughs> <laughs> now he's being a lawyer about it. Yeah. <laughs> you're a lawyer about his lawyer jokes. <laughs> all right. So, John Heyman, that's, uh, your website is uh, com. Personal injury lawyer specializing in uh, lots of stuff, but pertinent to our interests, motorcycle injuries. Thanks so much for being on with us tonight, John, and for helping us reinforce the Thank you, players on Harley stereotype. Anybody welcome to uh, go to our website? That's Haymond, H-A-Y-M-O-N-D, law.com. We'll have links in our show notes and on our Facebook page. Yes, absolutely. Oh, you will? Okay. Thank you ever so much. And it's been a pleasure, and I wish you the very best, and thank you for thinking. Thank you, John. Lawyers on Harley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's a lawyer on the Harley. He's a lawyer on a Harley. Two Harley represents other lawyers on Harleys. <laughs> and I, to his credit, the Harleys he's chosen aren't the the big like you know. Look at me, I ride a Harley ones. They're the ones that the sportster that actually like goes. And you're gonna want to ride. And you're gonna want to ride around. Well, <laughs> it shakes a lot. Um, yeah. But you know, sportster goes. Harley. You know, yeah. sportster goes and it can turn. The uh, the shovel head is just cool because it's. Old and cool looking. Yeah, yeah. So clearly he's a writer. He's, mm-hmm. he's not just in this for, for the you know. Hey, I can get money out of these people. Mm. But man, he's he's crafty. <laughs> uh, never. <laughs> I'm going to call him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> sneaky, sneaky, sneaky lawyers. Sneaky lawyers. All right, listener mail. Listener mail. So Gary sent us a picture of a sidecar. Uh, made from a bench and a year old with no tub. <laughs> it's like a, like a taxi sort of. Neat. Like a very, very frightening taxi. Fuck you, Zeus. Yeah, okay. That's, that's my true. answer if to Zeus everything. Zeus taxi pulled up, I'd be all over that. That's my answer to everything now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going back to Amsterdam just to steal that damn bike. <laughs> Splash. <laughs> Wait, I thought this thing went on. Oh, no, I made choices. Wait, you mean a sidecar isn't a submarine? No. Doesn't it look like the one from Mask? It does. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. It totally just shoots off. It's a submarine. I don't ruin this for me. Don't. Don't ruin it. Because if, if you don't ruin it, I'll probably do it at some point. It's a submarine. Yeah. Totally. It's a submarine. Look, there's even like torpedo tubes in the front. Oh, yes. Submarine. Can't wait. Certainly submarine. So we got this giant email from Greg. 
Yeah, so high points are I'm looking to get back into riding. It's been 15 years since I owned a bike. Had a KZ450 LTD for three years. So I'm pretty much starting over again. Yeah, you're absolutely starting over again. I'm glad you recognize that. (laughs) I've taken the MS Rider for Rider course this year and I'm looking at getting a new-to-me bike on a budget. Yay. A friend has a BMW K100 sitting in his garage he's willing to sell for a song. It needs steering head bearings and a battery to be roadworthy, hence the low price. But my question is, will it kill me? Will it scare small children? Will it impregnate my wife at 30 paces? Will it make me badass? Will it look cool enough on the outside of Starbucks? What doesn't? Mmm. It probably won't scare children. Um, impregnating your wife only happens with the R's, not the K's. Um, you won't be a badass. It's a BMW, and BMWs live at Starbucks. <laughs> in no particular order. So, actually, his questions are, what else should I be worried about on the bike? I know the bearing job is a big process, but doable in a well-equipped garage. Any other big areas to be concerned with? Okay. So, um, Shade tree mechanic, Todd. Uh, Todd to the rescue. So, bearings, yeah. Bearings are a colossal pain in the ass. They suck to do, but it's not actually complex. It's just that you're replacing a part. It's just, it's a fucker to get to most of the time. Uh And then that part is usually jammed in really tight in a very small clearance space. And then the one you're replacing is usually seized or buggered up and, you know, surrounded by bike. Yep. It's the normal state of affairs for bearings. So do you feel like you're going to have to take the bike apart to get to it? You'll have to take the front end apart. Okay. Yeah. You know, you have to take the forks off and uh, pop apart the triple tree, and then you'll be able to get the bearings. Um, there's a great video that we'll put a link to on the site um, of some guys doing it, but if you take a look at it, the actual getting the bike apart is not super bad because you basically unbolt the triple tree and pull it apart. Um, it's what's inside that's scary, and this is where the bearings begin to suck. You know, because bearing, <clears throat> bearings are super important and just awful little things. I hate them so much. They do such good things. I hate them passionately. <laughs> They're terrible. Yeah, so you'll need space. You'll need some tools. You'll need some time. Um, and honestly, if you get the forks off anyway, spend a little extra time in 20 bucks. Do the seals and change the oil in them unless your buddy just did it because fuck it. Once they're off, it's laughably easy to change out the oil and uh, fork. Mm-hmm. I was amazed at how simple it was. Okay. Um, but yeah, everything I've ever done involving a bearing has been a complete junk show. Swearing, finger smashing, brute force applied in strange and unnatural ways, on and on and on. Greg, so, as a side note, you should write back in a couple of weeks and be like, yeah, it was easy. <laughs> Todd, Todd don't know what he's talking about. It took me like half an hour. What the fuck? Yeah, the, the big the big thing with bearings is so most bearings you'll have you'll have a metal race of some sort, and you'll have the rollers which are also made of metal, and there'll be the grease and the rubber bits that hold it together. So you don't want to mess up the stuff inside the race. The outside of the race is usually the part that's safe to push on because it's designed that way because you got to push on something. Yeah, and you have to use massive amounts of force most of the time. The trouble is buggering up all the soft bits. So what you do is you get something softer than them, like uh, wood works well. You can use PVC sometimes. People okay. do. Okay. Um, you know, my Ural bearing pusher that I posted on our page was basically a dowel yeah. at the end, sawed off, and, and this is important, and sanded. <laughs> Splinters in your bearings will not increase their life, contrary to popular belief. Um, but you just look at it and figure out what you're bashing on with it and what you're putting pressure on. Once you know where you can safely put pressure and ideally spread it out as much as possible, then it's pretty much push the fucker in, mm-hmm. um, which is never as easy as it sounds. <laughs> and getting the old one out is just a nightmare. That's um, what she said. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you want a rubber hammer, got to have a rubber hammer because that way you, if you have to go whaling on it, um, you don't have to worry Damage about digging anything. anything up. Yeah. You just go to town. Um, <laughs> and then you'll need some sort of a vice to put it in and you want to make sure that you don't have metal vice teeth grabbing metal bits. Most of your metal bits are aluminum or steel. The hardened steel teeth on a vice will just eat it up, mm-hmm. chew it right up. Um, and make sure that it's obviously, th- this should go without saying, but hilarious stories abound. Make sure your vice is firmly attached to your bench because you are going to be putting a lot of pressure on those bearings. And when the whole thing comes over, falls over on top of you, I won't be held responsible. So you want to make sure your bench has low center of gravity, wide feet. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you seriously might want <laughs> Bolt to think it to about the floor. bolting it to something or like a couple of cinder blocks or something. Cause you know, you're going to be wailing on this thing <laughs> to get these out. I mean, the flip side of that is if you get a vice like mine, it's not a problem. It's no, the one I got from John that we're pretty sure his dad stole from Pittsburgh Steel. Nice. It's like, it's, it, you can't carry it very far because it's so damn heavy. Make sure you eat your uh, Wheaties that morning. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's the basic thing. Bearings aren't going to be hard. You don't need to be scared of them, but it's going to suck. Um, and then also just, you know, take notes and pay attention. Do, do that. what now? Take notes and pay attention as you do the job. Do what now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you take something out, draw it. Draw a picture of it in your notebook and where it goes and how it fits together. Or take pictures. Uh, you can do that too. I like to draw it because then it's your mental model of it and the picture sometimes is hard to see if it takes a while to get back together. Mm, okay. Or it's dark or blurry or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I did with the bill is I, I kept taking a lot of pictures. Yeah. That, that, that works pretty well if you do it. I, I just have, I have, Bad Todd drawings, but I can understand them perfectly. Of yeah, strong cave drawings. Yeah, cave, <laughs> cave, drawings. cave drawings on the Actually, walls. That brings up a good point. <laughs> a really good way to keep track of what you're doing is chalk. Chalk writes on cement, and it also writes on like masonite walls, like a lot of garages have. Yeah. So you right. can just write with chalk on your walls, and right. it tears and it washes off easy. What have you learned, Todd? Hmm. I learned that no matter how cool your three wheeler is, the Zeus is cooler. Fuck yeah. What have you learned? I learned what all that shit scrawled all over your garage walls is. <laughs> Kill Chuck. Kill Chuck. Kill Chuck. That's oh no, that's a Strom, uh, you know, yeah, clearance. That's, that's what I thought it was, but now I realize it's just your Strom engine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all we got time for this week. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. Ride safe, everyone. We'll see you next time. If you listen to us on iTunes, please write a review for us so that we can get some more exposure and hits. Thanks. If you like this podcast, you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com. This has been a Wheel Nerds production, all rights reserved. Readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent.